uh, ministering last week. And uh, this week we are turning our attention uh, to this book. And uh, just for the sake of alliteration, so I can say selected psalms for the summer. All right? Um, uh, No, we're we're turning our attention uh, to this book because the riches here are infinite. Uh, There's no way we could completely and fully mine the resources of this book for our life of faith, uh, for the life of response to God, the life of knowing uh, God and and worshiping Him. And uh, so throughout the rest of the summer, uh, we're going to spend some time here. We're going to begin with the first few chapters, and then we'll just kind of jump around the book uh, to, to different psalms that I think will be valuable for us. So Psalm chapter 1, or Psalm 1, would you uh, join me there and hear the word of God? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now as we come to these ancient words? Words that have shaped your people for thousands of years. Uh, Words that for some of us are very, very familiar. Um, Maybe for some, uh, not, not as familiar. But for all of us, would you help us to hear this music, this poetry, in a way that we not only understand its truth, but that we are grasped by its truth, that we are transformed by its beauty. We ask for the continuing work of your Spirit, who who we've known through the last few minutes. And we ask that he would continue to work in us. He would humble us and open us to what you have to say. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We were at a wedding uh, last weekend. One of the reasons that we were gone, one of my cousins was getting married in Lakeland, Florida. And I was very interested after the wedding, uh, to get my kids' reaction to what they had seen, because it's the first wedding they've ever been to. And I was particularly interested to find out what J.J. thought, my eldest son, our seven-year-old, because up until this point, J.J. has been completely opposed to marriage. He is committed to a lifetime of bachelorhood, of living by himself, uh, maybe... He, he has, is open to the possibility of his brother, Sam, living with him. Uh, but he's committed to living alone, not being married. He wants to uh, teach middle school science, coach baseball, 
and be able to come home and watch all the TV that he wants. Amen. <laughs> and the wedding did not change that. That is JJ's vision of the good life. What's yours? What is your vision of the good life? What mix of vocation, of friendship and family, of recreation, is what life should be for you? It's interesting to me that the book of Psalms, this book that we associate with worship, it does not begin with a song of praise. It does not begin with a song that celebrates the holiness, the greatness, the goodness, the mercy of God. The book of Psalms begins with a vision of the good life from God's perspective. What we have here is a poetic creation, imagination of what life should be. And so... What I want us to do for a few moments this evening is, is to consider this vision, this image of what life should be, the good life, and, and open our own vision to be changed by it. So three elements of the good life according to Psalm 1. Influence, productivity, and relationship. Influence, productivity, and relationship. So first of all, influence. Verse 1 begins with a progression. It begins with movement. So, the verbs walk, stand, sit. It is, it is a movement, and it's a movement towards a community of influence. A group of people that will shape your life. And this group of people is described as... Sinners, wicked, and scoffers. And all of these terms revolve around the idea of people who reject God and what He wants. People who choose their own way rather than God's. And so the poet begins this picture of a good life by saying, don't walk in that direction. Don't move towards that community of influence, the community of people who reject God and His ways. Move another direction. And so the negative of verse 1 sets up the positive of verse 2. Rather than moving towards those who reject God, the poet calls us to move in delight and in meditation towards the law of God. Towards the influence of of the law of God. And the word for law here is the word Torah in Hebrew. And it refers not just to the specific instructions of God, like do not murder. It typically refers in the Old Testament to the first five books of the Bible because that was the scripture of God's people at that time. And so it refers not only to um, commandments, but to stories that surrounded those commandments. Stories that were meant to shape the people of God. Stories and instructions that told them who they are, as well as what they should do. And for us, 
to hear the word Torah is to hear the word Scripture, because our Scripture is not only the first five books of the Bible, but the, but the whole of Scripture that God has given to us, His Word that He has given to us. And the poet wants us to move in that direction. He draws a contrast between the voice of those who reject God and the voice of God through His Word. What he says about who we are, who we should be, what we should do. And this contrast raises for us a question about our lives. And it is the question, who says? In your life this past week, who said who you were, what you wanted? What you did. What is the dominant voice that shapes the way you live? Your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, your relationships, your perspective on your job, your perspective towards things like recreation. What voice fundamentally influences your life. A few months ago, I went to pick our daughter, Georgia, up from preschool. And on the way to pick her up, I was listening to the radio, listening to NPR, I think, and I got very interested in a show that was going on on NPR. And it was exciting, and I was really interested in it, but I got to the place where I pick her up, and I waited till the very last minute to when I had to turn the car off and and go get Georgia and check her out and put her in the car. But when I turned the car back on, the show was still on. But there was a problem, because now there were two voices in the car. There was the voice of this show that I was interested in, and there was the voice of my daughter who wanted to tell me about the latest glitter-based art project that she had done that day. And I had a moment when I had to decide what to do with the volume knob. Would I turn it down so I could listen to my daughter? Or would I turn it up <laughs> so I could ignore my daughter and listen to the ship? And don't worry, it was a cat's in the cradle enough of a situation that I turned it down and listened to what Georgia had done that day. What Psalm 1 does for us is it creates a volume knob moment. It asks us whose voice will dominate your heart and your mind. Will it be the voice of fear? Or will it be the voice that says, I am with you, I am your refuge, I am your fortress, I am your strong tower? Will it be the voice of self-focus and self-indulgence? Or will it be the voice that says to us, love your neighbor as yourself? Will it be the voice of materialism, that our life has meaning when we can create enough comfort and wealth and possessions for ourselves? Or will it be the voice that says to us, I am your portion? 
be satisfied in me? What voice dominates your life? The good life, according to Psalm 1, is the life that is fundamentally, primarily influenced by the voice of God through His Scripture, through His Word. The good life belongs to the person who runs to the Word of God, not just to know it, but to love it, to delight in what God says. The good life belongs to the person who not only delights, but but that delight leads that person to meditate on the words that God has given to us. And understand meditate here is not in the eastern, the far eastern sense of emptying yourself of content. It is to, the, the word literally is to mumble. It is to fill your life with the content of God's truth. It is to talk to yourself with the truth that is found in Scripture. What voice dominates your life? Now, why would we welcome the influence of God in this way? Understand that to do that is to set aside the most deeply held cultural value that we have. And that is the value of self-definition. To turn up the voice of God, to be primarily influenced by that, is to set aside our right to self-definition and be defined by someone outside of us. Why would we risk that? Well, I think because the good life as we find it here in Psalm 1 is not only a life of influence, it's a a life of productivity. In verses 3 to 4, the poet wants to motivate us to welcome the influence of God's Word in our life. And he does it by painting a picture of two possibilities, of two possible outcomes from these two different influences. From the, so from the influence of those who reject God and the influence of God's words, we have two different sets of produce. So, tree versus chaff. Okay? And chaff in the ancient world uh, was, was part of a barley or wheat. And it was the part of the grain that was useless. And so... When ancient people would harvest their barley or wheat, they would gather it all together, they would take uh, large instruments and throw it up in the air, and the wind would blow, and it would catch the useless part of the grain and blow it away. And then the more substantial part of the grain would fall to the ground, and that's what they could use for their food. The poet says, that's what your life will be. If you're influenced by those who reject God in His ways, your life will be rootless, useless. But, the contrast is, if you will welcome the influence of God, you will become like a tree 
stable, rooted, fruitful. And a fruit tree was a common image in the ancient world for what a meaningful life looked like. A life that brought benefit, not just to the individual, but to the family and to the community, was a life that looked like a fruit tree. And the image is not just a prominent cultural one, it is a prominent biblical one as well. Think about how the Bible begins. Humanity as it should be. God made Adam and Eve. And where did He put them? Put them in the garden with fruit trees. Right? And one special, important fruit tree in particular. How does the Bible end? Revelation 22, the Apostle John gives us a vision of of what it will be like when Jesus returns and makes everything new. And one of the images he gives us in the very last chapter of our Bibles, Revelation 22, is he sees the throne of God and he sees a stream, a river, flowing out from that throne. And what does that river create? What does it produce? A fruit tree. The tree of life. John says, the leaves of this tree will heal the nations. So it is with that story in mind that we need to come to this psalm and ask ourselves, why should we welcome the influence of God? We should welcome the influence of God and His Word because the goal of His Word is to restore us. It is to take us back to the garden and beyond. God's Word is not there simply to make minor changes in our life. It it is not here for advice. God's Word, the goal of God's Word is to remake us. To recreate us. Into what God has designed us to be. So, whether you're new to Scripture or you're an old veteran, don't come to Scripture just looking for a little help. Come to Scripture expecting profound transformation. Because that is its goal. That is why we should welcome the influence of God in our our lives. Why we should delight in, meditate on the words that He has given to us. Because it remakes us. It restores us. It transforms us. So, Verse 2 is like a recipe. Delight, meditate on the Word of God. Welcome the influence of God's Word into your life. Verse 3 is like the picture on Pinterest of when the recipe is completed. This is what it looks like when the instructions are followed the way they should be. But there's a problem. Do you know the Pinterest fail blog? Have you seen that? 
It's great. It's all these pictures of people who have attempted these recipes and craft projects on Pinterest and had utterly failed at them. And here's the problem. Is my life and the life of most of us, even who genuinely long to be shaped by the Word of God, our lives too often look like the failed Pinterest blog and the picture on Pinterest. So what do we do with that? You feel the tension of, I want to know Scripture, I want to be changed by Scripture, but I also see in my life all the ways that I am not changed. I am not transformed. What do we do with that? Well, we need to recognize that the poet here not only gives us the recipe and the picture, but he gives us something else. And the third element of the good life here in Psalm 1 is relationship. In verses 5 and 6, the psalmist here is continuing to motivate us to want God's Word in our life, to want the change that it it brings. And, and And he talks about judgment. But notice how judgment is described in these verses. So, the way of the wicked, verse 6, will perish. But why does it perish? Verse 5, the sinner, the wicked, does not stand in the judgment or in the congregation of the righteous. This is a relational image. And we should hear the echo of verse 1 where he says, don't, don't stand in the community of the wicked. Why? Because the wicked will not stand in the community of God. So the image here is of a royal court. God the King sitting on His throne and all of those who belong to Him in the courtroom. And the rebel is exiled is banished from belonging to that community. And what's the contrast? What's the comparison? Verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, notice that know is in the present tense, not the future tense. So, The wicked will be judged. They will be rejected. But right now, God knows the way of righteousness. And understand that to know is not just to be aware of. It's not to say that God, hey, I I see that you're doing good things here. I'm going to bless you. No. No is Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son. Same word. To know is to be in a productive relationship. It is to say that God is productively present with His people. Sorry. (laughs) So, The fruitfulness of verse 3 
does not simply come from instructions. It comes from presence. How how is the tree fruitful? It's planted by water, right? Dominant image of river, stream type of water in Scripture is an image for the presence of God. It's an image of the temple, of God with His people producing life in them. So, the good life belongs to God's people not just because He has given them His laws, but because He has given them Himself. In other words, the connection between the recipe and the picture is the presence of a chef. And how do we know we have that? How do we know that we have the presence of God? How do we know that God knows us? It says here that God knows the way of the righteous. And that word is is one of the many reasons why we cannot come to Psalm 1 why we cannot come to the book of Psalms without Jesus. Because the New Testament teaches us that Jesus was the righteous one. That Jesus lived the good life. The life perfectly shaped by the law of God. Jesus embodied the way of the righteous. But what else? He suffered the judgment of the way of the wicked on the cross, right? Why? Why did Jesus live the way of the righteous but suffer the judgment of the way of the wicked? So that those of us who are in Him although we are wicked in our hearts, can be forgiven so that God can look at us because of Jesus and say, you are a righteous one. So that we can be be given the water of God. Jesus says, I am the living water and I give all of those who are in me the living water. We can be given the productive presence of God. Jesus became the chaff so that we could become the tree. And if we are in Him, or if you will come to Him by faith, you have the Spirit of God, the presence of God in you, the productive water of God in you. He takes even our messes, and is working to remake us. And the gift of that presence is a guarantee of the presence not only now, but that that presence will continue to work and we will be fully remade in the future. The chef is at work and he will make us into the picture. So what is your vision of the good life? The good life is the one that longs for the life-giving 
fruit-producing influence of God's Word. And because of that longing, it's planted in the life-giving, fruit-producing presence of God given through faith in Jesus Christ. So where will you plant your life? Let's pray.